0: Welcome to The Closing Table. I'm your host, Joseph Foley. Today, i got David Eisenberg here. Uh, we're going to discuss a little bit about the market, his new firm, and about his prospects, about what's going on with the market today. Uh, David, thank you very much for coming today. Great to be here. Cheers, cheers. So, why don't you try tell me about your, uh, your role as a fellow graduate at NYU, a professor at Columbia, and a professor at NYU, as well, uh, since you are 30, you just telling me, for almost over a decade, which is great. Why don't you tell me about your career path from NYU uh, to uh, Produce Capital? Sure. So I,
1: um, I actually started my undergrad at NYU, and uh, I was working as a waiter. It lasted about two days. Right. Um, very difficult to pay for NYU at the time, as you can imagine. Yes. yes. And, <laughs> And uh, I was walking down the street, and I, I saw two young ladies sitting, talking, and like every young man, I came over and had a conversation with them, and it turned out they were real estate brokers. In conversation, I asked them what they do and how they get paid, and when they told me, I said, I got to go do that. Mm. So I went in the office, had an interview, got my license, and in the first four years of school, I was a residential broker, right, renting apartments um, in Manhattan. Uh, after I graduated the undergrad, I went right into the Shaq Masters program because somehow I convinced them that experience as a residential broker, uh, therefore I must have something about real estate. And getting my master's degree, I, I exited and I went to work for uh, Merrill Lynch. Okay. Right, and uh, yeah, somehow I convinced them I knew something about real estate. Also at that point, uh, spent a couple years there. Went to a company called uh, Rainier Capital Group which was a a private equity firm, and then um, moved to another smaller shop down in Miami called Green Street Partners. Uh, So around that time, um, I was sort of bouncing back and forth between New York and Miami, and the majority of my experience was on the buy side, meaning I was a provider of capital uh, to the marketplace. I was either buying or lending or investing equity. And I realized um, that my learning curve was actually slowing a little bit. Because when you have a certain bucket of money, you're very myopic in what you can do and what you can see and the type of transactions you can do. And so I decided to move over to um, the sell side, meaning to represent the consumers of capital, brokerage, mm-hmm. in effect, right? And I moved back to New York, and I worked for a small company called Wall Street Realty Capital, which is a spinoff from Canada Fitzgerald. And that was sort of my first taste of the intermediation universe. And it was fantastic because my, my learning curve you know, became like a J-curve. We just... Group. I got to talk to every capital group out there, I got to see every asset class, and I got to sort of understand the different aspects of the entire capital stack. Mm-hmm. So I did that for a couple of years, um, moved back and forth again between Miami, and then in 2005, I, I thought I was smart enough at 30, you think you know everything, uh, and I started a, my first company, which was called Prodigious Capital Group. And simultaneous with that also, because as a startup, I had very little capital coming in. It turned out that one of my interns was actually teaching an Excel class at NYU. And I said, you know, if you can do that, I can certainly do much better. <laughs> okay. um, when in went in, <laughs> went in, had my interview, um, you know, because I was very sort of uh, high aptitude on, on financial analysis, they took me
0: uh, for my first job as a finance professor and sort of been there ever since. Oh, wow. That's amazing. And you still keep going. That's great. Uh, so, what, ta- what transpired from produce Capital and when it was purchased from New Oaks? Uh, what happened with you, and your, you the firm, and everything going forward? Yeah. So, uh, this is not a story
1: of, you know, me actually understanding everything that I was doing and, and, and growing a massive business and selling, unfortunately. Um, I was, uh, um, in hindsight, ill-prepared to run a business. You know, I was good at what I did from a financial structuring standpoint, but um, I didn't do the right steps um, in order to ensure that I had continuity in the business, like mm-hmm. a chief operating officer or people that I should know how to run a company. And uh, got very sidetracked. Um, we sort of manned it through, and the market, you know, was helpful in that it allowed us to transact. And we were doing traditional real estate investment banking, raising equity, mass pref, senior. We were um, uh, originating for a couple of smaller shops, and you know, in spite of my ability to manage and lead. Uh, We still sort of grew the business to about 24 people, and uh, you know I actually had an offer to sell the business. But then when I saw Granite trade for about 45 million dollars, I said that's going to be me. Why would I ever sell now? Mm -hmm. And of course, you know, about a year later the the market tanked, (laughs) and um, it was a a truly humbling experience. You know, where you sort of go from 24 to two, and um, you know, in hindsight, I probably kept paying people longer than I should have because I felt very guilty. I was very sort of, you know, invested in the firm and in the people itself. Um, It was very, you know, again, a a very humbling time. And uh, sort of as the market began to to tinker up, I was sort of trying to figure out if I was going to rebuild a business um, or to move on to the next step. And I just didn't have the, frankly, the mental wherewithal. To, to do it again at that particular moment of time. And so when New Oak came along, um, you know, i like to say they, they, they paid a really high uh, multiple for a very non-existent DB mm-hmm. So um, I merged my investment banking practice into New Oak, um, spent about a year there doing more structured product. And they're, you know, very smart, wonderful people who I still have a relationship with. But I wasn't finding the right synergy with their existing practice to do what I wanted to do. And so a year into sort of my, my, my stay there, Avacyn Young came around. And uh, you know, my first question was, you know, who's Avison Young? I know. Okay. <laughs> um, and, and it was sort of a, a, a growing company where I could sort of make my mark. And you know, being the first business high in New York, it was, it was very interesting. They made me partner. And so that's where I wound up. That's amazing. How long were you uh, at Young? So um, I was there for almost uh, four and a half years. Um, I was sort of like, I, I co founded the practice um, within New York, and then I, I was the US lead for the practice to grow the group. It was the uh, Debt Equity and Structures Finance Group. Um, we wound up being embedded about seven or eight offices, um, about 20 plus people, sort of depending on the time frame. And, um, you know, it, uh, as I sort of was looking at the next stage. Um, of my career um, at my same time as I was at Abbotson Young I, I co-founded a company called Onica Equities um, uh, which happens to be in this office that we're sitting in mm-hmm. and that was a private equity vehicle that creates and buys ground leases okay. and I looked at it as my principal arm right but investing into a financial structure so that when I wanted to raise money I didn't have to convince people they didn't know how to operate property because I don't
0: mm-hmm.
1: I'm a financial engineer but I can't swing a hammer so, um, that business was sort of growing and, and beginning to feed the investment banking side of the business. So, I thought now would have been sort of the best time to, to branch off and, and build a practice based on sort of the values and culture and um, focus that I wanted to do. And that's a company. that is... It's hard to say that. I I go with Eisenco. Eisenco, okay. You know, Eisenberg (laughs) does not believe (laughs) in (laughs) that. So I call it Eisenco, but yes, it's uh, Eisenberg and Company. um, Because what I realized, um, especially when I was at Addison Young, was generally the question was, you know, who's Addison Young? It wasn't who's David Eisenberg. And because of the teaching, you know, at at, at Shaq, at, at one point at Baruch, now Columbia and Stern, I've taught about 1,500 students, and a lot of the students happen to be in a real estate in New York. And so I thought that my name had value to it, and hopefully, you know, in time, if my boys ever come join me, right, mm-hmm. as everybody hopes, um, you know, it's a it's a nice way to create
0: brand value that's already there. Mm-hmm. So it's a growth for forward. That's amazing. So why don't you tell us a little bit about like the type of business you do? You said you do ground ground, uh, ground leasing. Yeah. I know you have a focus on equities. Why don't you tell us what you're focused now? And what you think your projection of the company is going to be in the next couple of years, and sure. what you would like it to be. Sure. So um, Eisenberg and
1: Company is a real estate investment banking firm. I differentiate it from brokerage because it is high-touch, value-add services, whereas in my mind, brokerage is more of a unfiltered dissemination of information. Right. So for us, where we tend to play is in the non-commodity execution space. Right. So for someone trying to finance, you know camera can you see that building over there yes. not that hard. You get a rent roll, you know, so trailing 12 and then you go show it to five investment banks and they can bid it. Um, we tend to focus on more structured stuff. Equity, bridge, perm uh, financing on assets with a role somewhere where it requires a little bit more creativity, more structuring, more brain power, and we'll cover the entire capital stack. Um, we're sort of agnostic about asset class geography um, or, uh, or asset class. Um, and we'll work on deals across the entire deal spectrum, so from development to transitional to permanent financing. Uh, The primary target is middle market companies because they tend to need our services more, whereas the big companies have CFOs that are outward-looking and will deal with investors. Middle market CFOs generally are controllers or accountants, and they just don't have sort of the the relationships of the wherewithal or knowledge how to run process and how to structure deals. And that's really where I think we can lend a lot of value to it.
0: So is this, this is going off the roll, are you done with ground leasing, or is that going to be a focus in the forum? No, action? so
1: it, it, it's, it, it's purely um,
0: complementary.
1: Okay. Um, when I sit across the table, or at a closing table, okay. um, <laughs> eventually, right, that <laughs> yes. is the goal, um, with any sort of, I always think of consumers or providers of capital, right? So in an in, iceberg in company, I represent consumers of capital, mm-hmm. and somewhere along the line, they need money somewhere. And so when I sit with them and we're trying to figure out the right stack, ground leases are an arrow in a quiver, right? In certain cases, you know, suburban office where there's not a lot of liquidity, you can't get the right leverage for refinance, um, single-tenant property. So in certain cases, ground leases can be a great, viable cap stack option, but it's not my only, you know, sort of arrow. It's not my only tool, right? And so um, it is purely complementary, but that business feeds, the investment banking business, because when you bifurcate, I as my own, you know, I, I as my own client need financing in the ground lease space, and certainly in the leasehold, you need financing. So I've sort of become the, you know, one of the I don't want to say the foremost, but certainly an expert in leasehold and ground lease financing, mm-hmm. and that just helps feed the business.
0: So you're saying, you're like, what's your ideal to clients? Like? My my
1: target client is middle to upper middle market, right? So that twenty to one hundred fifty million dollars, because they're generally not public, they generally tap the private markets. They're generally not overly staffed, and they need our help, right? And so the service that we deliver is far from just being an introduction because, you know, saying hello to a bank, you're still 50 steps away from closing a deal. Mm-hmm. And we are there a step, you know, from day one to do the package. do the placement, negotiate terms, and then help close a deal, and make sure, you know, that, that we have mitigated every problem that comes up. It is very time-consuming, and the... The, the entrepreneurial operators appreciate that and I need it. Mm. And especially, you know, in, in times of market um, sort of dislocation as we're beginning to see.
0: Yeah, that's great. It goes right to the like, great next question is about the market. I mean, you need it more now than ever for guys for refinancing, you know, hedging their bets about this whole C M B S yeah. possibly happening. So why don't you talk about what guys what what these middle market family offices, real estate owners can do what can you benefit? What can you do to add to their value? Sure.
1: So what's interesting is large companies, right, are, are sort of engaged, meaning large brokerage firms, right, are really engaged in a race to the bottom, where they're trying to go after the big assets, right, and there you have fee compression like nothing else. So mm-hmm. the company at the top line makes money, but I don't know how the the middle guys live. Um, and again, when you're dealing with commodity execution, it, it literally is very price sensitive, you know. So you get you get yourself beaten down to break even sometimes just to maintain market share. Um, what we think going forward, especially in our sort of realm, we're, we're certainly past the peak and deals have just become harder mm-hmm. for whatever reasons. And there's actually pretty good discipline sort of in all, in all parts of the market segment, in every securitized lending shop, in all banks, in all equity. Outside of foreign companies that will sometimes make a mistake because they may not know the market, or unless you have, you know, misallocated, mispriced capital, like EB5 for example, mm-hmm. um, it is not easy to get certain deals done. It's just not, and it just takes time. And you know, the bigger firms want that building. They don't want the building that's half vacant. It just takes too long to do. It, it's it's a grind sometimes to do, and sometimes they're not even equipped to do it. Right, and and that's really where we think we're going to add a lot of value and and capture market share.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. I, it's a lot of the like old, I would call it old school money. A lot of the big families here that have like you know 11, 12 buildings in the city, they're like, I want a three percent cap, and I'm just like, what? Me too. It, it, it's like, yeah, of course, <laughs> can be great. All day. great. Uh, and the thing is, like, the building is you know seventy five percent filled, and the biggest part, is the retail is gone. Yeah. Uh, and we're seeing that drastically in midtown Manhattan because. The prices are just astronomical, and they just don't care. They they own it outright. Some of the yeah. prices. Uh So why don't you tell us, uh, our viewers, uh, how they the best way they can get in touch with you, uh, and you know, your information.
1: Sure. So um, I'm very bad at, at re- returning voicemails. Okay. Unfortunately. <laughs> Welcome to the new day and age. I'm I'm pretty bad at that. I, if I can figure out how to turn off voicemail, I would. Um, email is always best, so david at eisenberg.com, which is another reason to choose that name, because yep. now I only have to spell my last name once. Okay. Um, it will be on the bottom of the, of the thing, <laughs> so don't worry, guys. So, um, email or, 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 you know, call the cell, right, always have it on, much to the to of my parents and family, um, 917-701-2814.
0: Thank you very much for coming on today. So as you know, the name of the show is called The Closing Table. Why don't you tell me what it means to you? Uh, you've already brought it up in the, the, the speak, so right. yeah. Um,
1: the closing table means I succeeded um, in servicing a client at the end of the day, right? Um, it, it, it's a lucky place if we wind up there. Um, you want every deal to wind up there, but it really doesn't. And so especially when you have difficult transactions, um, you know, I always think about closing table as a closing dinner. Right, okay. because you know, closing table, it's like, oh my god, thank God, you have some relief. Closing dinner is when you actually feel like you, you, you know, you can celebrate a little bit, right? Yes. Um, and so I sort of put the two together. I, I'm going to start a uh, a competing business with you. I'm going to call it the Closing Dinner Table.
0: <laughs> <Okay>.
1: <laughs> it works for me. But but that's really where it. It's you know, job well done. Sort of you know, hopefully you've satisfied a need of the client and uh, on to the next one. Yes. In our business, as you know, it's always on to the next one. Yeah,
0: it's on to the next one. I mean, the whole thing, it's new beginnings and new beginnings. For me, when I was a broker, it was transactional. Nowadays, it's like, let me just get to the closing table. Right. Let me just implement the th- my thesis. And, you know, it, you, you know, hopefully, you know, you get a couple of that a year and you're successful. And you yeah. can get with the big guys. I want to thank you very much for coming thank to the you. show. Uh, thank you again for coming to the closing table. Uh, you can reach us on www.closing-table.com, Instagram at Closing Table. I'm your host, Joseph Foley. Let me get you to the closing table. Have a good night. What's Instagram? What's Instagram?